This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. I'm out of this world, not your run of the millin'. My name is Furrow, I'm the owner of the billin'. I'm a stoner and I'm chillin' with you bitches like Jack. I pimps and I mag, drive a Benz and a lack. Andre Hicks, the rapper known to the world as Mac Dre, was murdered back in 2004 in Kansas City. A native of Vallejo, California, Dre was as beloved for his oddball persona, trademark slang, and dancing as he was for his music. He molded the spirit of a Bay Area scene that updated their gamed-up hustlerisms for a colorful, psychedelic take on street culture whose influence has been felt worldwide, and particularly here in the Northwest, where Mac Dre's music is absolutely revered. As in the case of just about every instance of a rapper being murdered, the case remains unsolved. I recently talked to Donald Morrison, a young writer who wrote a story about Dre's murder for Passion of the Weiss, the hip-hop blog founded by the influential L.A. music journalist Jeff Weiss. What started as a pitch about Dre's influence turned into an investigation into his still unsolved murder. But pretty early on, I decided to reach out to the Kansas City Police Department and see see how much it would be to request all the documents related to his murder. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure anything was going to come of it. I thought since the case was still open, maybe they would just hand me a bunch of like redacted documents with names blurred out. But, but what they gave me ended up being like over 1,200 pages of interview transcripts, um, autopsy photos, phone records. Like it was very outstanding. Right when I got it, I knew that I had something for sure. There's so many murders uh, of rappers where you never hear about anything that happened in the case. And it's usually because nothing did. Why do you think that is? And I think that like distrust between police and the black community plays a big, big role in why those deaths aren't properly investigated or why they are never solved. But what was really shocking to me was seeing the documents and realizing that they had basically solved the murder over a decade ago and for for varying reasons it was just never closed and i think that probably happens a lot but it's surprising with someone like mac dre such a public figure such a such a huge mystery how how some of these details had never came out until i requested the documents um, so that was that was one of the biggest surprises for me mac dre first came to the public eye in 1989 with his young black brother ep just three years later he was on his way to prison. At the time, in, in the early 2000s, Mac Dre had just been, he'd been enjoying a newfound success after being released from prison in 1996. Uh, he'd, he'd gone to prison and did five years for conspiracy to rob a bank. He didn't actually rob the bank, but he, he was found in a car with some burglary tools and, and with some friends and the FBI had information that they basically said they'd been robbing banks, you know, for years and this was their chance to get them. But, you know, they just fell short. So they got him with the conspiracy. And, and that really stopped his career short at the time. He, he was one of the first rappers to release like lyrics in, in a record that was recorded from a prison cell. The, the Young Black Brother, it had songs that were recorded in prison. Um, and he was one of the first rappers where the police and the prosecutors used his lyrics to 
help build their case and to charge him with the bank robbery, which is something that we see a lot more of now. Dre recorded vocals for his Back in the Hood album, Over the Phone, which gave a certain ill communication, drive through window quality to songs like 93. So he got out in 1996, and there, there's video of his mom, um, Mac Wanda, where she's showing like letters that he had written her from from prison, kind of outlining his plans to create Fizz, Fizz Entertainment, um, his own record label, his own business to stay independent and to, to kind of rebrand his music to a more like partying, um, uplifting theme. And, and he did that and he did that very successfully. And as this is happening, you know, Mac Dre gets out, he moves to Sacramento and he releases a series of mixtapes and um, starts his own record label. As the Bay Area scene is bubbling, another regional hip-hop scene is emerging in Kansas City, Missouri. There's a lot of love and a lot of collaboration between the rappers of those towns. Bay Area artists enjoy huge support in Kansas City, while KC artists like Fat Tone and Rich the Factor found new fans in the Bay. So the Bay was really, you know, helping to put on a lot of Kansas City artists and, and vice versa. Bay Area artists could go to Kansas City and sell out shows. In 2004, a first-time concert promoter in Kansas City named Damon Whitmore had the idea to throw a show headlining three top Bay Area rappers, Keek the Sneak, Yuck Mouth, and Mac Dre for the upcoming Halloween weekend. The deal is that each artist will get paid $12,500 for the show, $6,000 up front, and then the other $6,500 after the performance. Mac Dre, by all accounts, he got the first $6,000 and heads to Kansas City on October 27th, which is a Wednesday, um, with three friends. And when he arrives there, he's picked up by a friend of his named Simino Davila. Prosecutors refer to this man, Davila, as the cocaine kingpin of Kansas City at that time. He's currently serving a 30-year sentence in the Texas prison. But in 2004, he was a friend of several rappers in the scene, including Mac Dre's. And so when, when Mac Dre finds out about the show, Savino says Mac Dre hits him up and, and says, hey, do you want to kick it while we're in Kansas? And Savino agrees and offers to lend him like a white moving van that will act as Dre and Dre and friends transportation while they're in Kansas city. And, and he also offers him his cousin, Harold Piercy to basically drive, drive the crew around in the white van. So Mac Dre and his crew are in Kansas city early in the week to hang and promote the Halloween show. He has these two promotional events planned earlier in the day. One of them is, a like a meet and greet at a record store and another one was uh, a radio appearance mac dre according to the promoter in the documents says you know mac dre completely skipped out on the the radio appearance he just didn't show up um, for the the record store signing he showed up you know hours late 
And when he got there, he was with like a gigantic crew of like somewhere between 20 and 30 people. And apparently it was a, a complete mess. You know, there's this first time promoter. He's trying to, to make some money off, this, off his first show. He invites these artists out, um, but it, things seem very disorganized. Mac Dre is not showing up to places on time. The show on Friday night rolls around. The promoter is already frustrated with Mac Dre for blowing off his promotional appearances. And, you know, that, that really brings us to that night, October 29th, the, the show that the promoter had planned. Apparently, Dre shows up an hour after he was supposed to be done playing. So that's like 1130 at night. Um, the promoter had to, he tells detectives he had to rent another like couple hours for the show, which cost him some more money. And when Mac Dre goes on, he performs like one or two songs and then reportedly tells the crowd to come on stage with him, starts letting people on stage, uh, which becomes a fire hazard. And I talked to the DJ that night, a famous Kansas City DJ named DJ Fresh. Shout out to DJ Fresh. And he, this is one of my favorite little like nuggets from the documents. He says that he, he tells Dre, he like goes up and says, hey, can you tell the people to get off stage? And Dre apparently says, that's not my job. Not my job. I'll pay your cat back. But anything else, not my job. And so the show is shut down quickly after that by security and everyone's told to go home. The promoter likely lost money on the show and the detectives interviewed him the, the day after and they asked him three times how much money he made on the show and he changed his answer each time. Uh, the first time he said that he lost money on the show, then the second time he tells detectives that he actually broke even and then by the end of the interview he tells detectives that he actually made money on the show. It being possible that he would kind of gradually erase what might have been considered a motive for him to be involved in some yeah. aggression towards Dre, i.e. Yeah, losing money. Exactly. Gotcha. That's, that's kind of my, my theory as well. Okay. Um, promoter tells police that Dre agreed to stick around to do another show at a place called the Atlantic Star on Halloween night, and that Dre was going to do a, a, a meet and greet originally, or like a, a club walkthrough where they just go to the VIP and order bottles, and that attracts customers alone. Um, but promoter, the promoter says that Dre actually agrees to do a full performance, you know, to help make up the money he lost from the first show. We obviously don't have Mac Dre's side to this story. Dre agrees to, to go to the show. And, and that brings us to Halloween Day, um, October 31st, 2004. Um, Mac Dre supposed to go to the Atlantic Star just to do this, this walkthrough or the, or the performance. We, we don't know for sure. Um, when he gets there, he walks through goes and orders some bottles at the VIP area and then leaves before the bottles even get there. Mac Dre ends up getting in the white van his friend Mr. Davila provided and leaves with Davila's cousin at the wheel. And then that's when around somewhere between 2.30 and 3.30, the white van's traveling down Highway 71 and a black infinity pulls up along the driver's side and unloads somewhere between 25 to 35 shots from an automatic rifle, some kind of assault rifle, and, uh, and another gun. 
there's two different shell casings found. The car also rams the van, trying to get it to run off the road. It eventually works, and Harold Piercy drives over the divider, over the other lanes, and, and into a ditch where Mac Dre's body, after the van crashes, Mac Dre's body is thrown from the car um, and lands in the mud um, about 10, 20 feet away from the car, um, where, where he dies from one bullet shot in the back of the neck. And the driver, after the van crashes, he gets out like relatively unscathed, um, he, he can't find his cell phone and immediately starts running towards uh, the hotel that Mac Dre's friends had been staying at, um, which was about a 45-minute walk. It sounds like an exceptionally loud and like violent scene. I mean, the, the crime scene was over a mile long, um, just with, with bullet casings and everything. And so immediately after the shooting, some of the first tips that police end up getting are surrounding this Kansas City rapper named Fat Tone. And so these rumors started coming out that Fat Tone had been at the Friday show and that he had tried to get on the stage and, and Mac Dre told him he couldn't or that he had yelled, you know, some profanities at, at Mac Dre. Well, there's some reports that those, those rumors were kind of being like actively seeded, you know what I mean, in the community? Yeah, yeah. So there were reports from some of the informants that the police talked to that Damon Whitmill, the promoter, and the shooters had been telling people that they blamed it on Fat Tone to take attention off of themselves. About six months later, a Bay Area rapper and promoter who was known for working with Snoop Dogg and E-40, a guy by the name of Mac Minister, lures Fat Tone to Las Vegas under the pretense of doing a show with Snoop. Prosecutors say that Mac Minister and a friend murdered Fat Tone and his friend um, in a cul-de-sac about 10 miles outside of like the, the Las Vegas Strip area. And Mac Minister's friend who was there is eventually arrested and um, confesses that he did the crime and that it was, in fact, in retaliation for the Mac Dre murder. Mac Minister goes on the run. He ends up on America's Most Wanted, which leads to his arrest. However, Kansas City detectives soon came to the conclusion that Fat Tone wasn't even responsible for Mac Dre's murder. The detectives knew, you know, after a month that he wasn't involved. And they start getting tips um, about the promoter and about um, these two gang members, also 51st Street Crip members, named... Calvert Papoose Antwine and Taryn uh, T. Baby Smith. I'll just refer to them by their nicknames from now on. And so their connection to the promoter isn't totally fleshed out. But what I can say is there are numerous jailhouse snitches who end up talking to detectives and saying that Papoose and T. Baby are in prison, CCA Levensworth specifically, um, bragging about the killing, bragging that they were paid 10 grand to, to do the killing. Both of those men that were linked to Mac Dre's murder were later themselves killed. And so, yeah, that also goes back to why, why the murder was never officially solved. I think the police might have seen these two individuals' deaths and, and been like, street justice has kind of take care of this. There's, you know, no one left to really charge. Has there ever been any further 
words from the promoter uh has been was was he ever charged anything anything like that he was never charged with anything and he remains like the the biggest mystery in the case i couldn't get a hold of him or anybody who even knew him according to dj fresh he wasn't well known in the scene afterwards either mac dre's murder was a blow to the bay area hip-hop community but his influence and legacy only grew in the years to pass Many of the cultural phenomena that most associate with the Bay's rap scene come directly from Mac Dre. Just think of one of the biggest Bay Area rap songs of all time, E-40's Tell Me When To Go, featuring Keek the Sneak, who performed with Dre that night in Kansas City. When 40 says, this face, or put your stunner shades on, these are terms that Mac Dre originated. After Mac Dre passed is when he really um, blew up nationally. Like what often happens when artists die is when they truly get like the love that, you know, perhaps they should have been given when they were still alive. Um, that happened with Mac Dre too, and culminating sort of in Drake bringing out Mac Dre's mom um, on stage during a show. So that's just a testament to, to how big Mac Dre is now and how big he would have been um, ha had he not have been killed for something like $10,000 or, you know, it was over a sum that was smaller than $10,000. Like, you know, it's very, very tragic. You know, experience tells me that there's probably going to be some people who listen to this uh, who maybe aren't that familiar with Mac Dre's music or maybe even much rap in general. We're going to hear the kind of lurid, bloody details in all of this and say, well, you know, he got what's coming and you live by the sword, die by the sword. Same thing they said about Tupac, Biggie, plenty others. Uh, teaching those folks empathy is emphatically not my job. But I will say that I don't think you would hear the same kind of response if, say, Steve Earle or Merle Haggard or David Crosby, you know, who all themselves served some time in prison were brutally murdered after performing a show yeah the people who are like you know who cares about this they're living a lifestyle that kind of like begets violence in a way and i would really push back against that um there's there were a lot of rumors that mac dre could have also been involved in some kind of bunk ecstasy deal and that's potentially one of the motives for why he got killed but through my reporting what i believe is that Mac Dre was a source of like positivity in his neighborhood and at the record label. And, you know, while he might've been hanging around with people who were involved in that lifestyle, I think he was completely legit. He had his mind on, you know, legit legal businesses. And, and even if you're using your, your skills and your talents to be the one positive force to help people get getting out of like the a life of like poverty or, or crime you can still you're still like somehow criminalized and looked down upon which thus keeps you in in the same scenario that you're in so i say r.i.p mac dre furl the owner of the building who's been gone for nearly two decades but lives on still in the heart of every rap fan who's ever tugged at their collar while doing the thizzle dance. Thanks to the work of Mr. Morrison, sharing the details unearthed by Kansas City police. Just a little more light is shed on his murder and the violence that resulted because of it. I know there's no easy answers, 
no happy endings to be found here. But like the man himself said, that's not my job. My name is Larry Mizell Jr. The Sound and Vision. It was a hot night in August. Humid. Hit the store to get some OJ to shroom it. I'm cooning. That was Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kexp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening.